no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 53. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How's it going, Venom? Greetings and salutations, docudrama fans. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Getting ready for uh, another Friday night of poker, so I figured uh, let's go ahead and talk about some some non-horror films for once on No More Room in Hell, so I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. the picks, how they kind of orbit in genre, but not quite a horror themselves. But uh, we'll get into that more later. Uh, also with us, as always, it's Derek. What's up, Derek? How goes it? Alita later. <laughs> the unforgettable line from the trailer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um yeah, so I, I just want to make a quick note to start off the show, uh, you know, with all the relationships we're forming, the community is always expanding, and uh, we lost, like, an extended member of the community. Uh, for those familiar with the T-Putts podcast, uh, Duncan Runs, uh, his really good pal and a huge contributor to T-Putts, Baz, uh, unfortunately, passed away um i believe duncan said it was like a motorcycle accident or something and hmm. yeah horrible news nothing uh, anyone wants to you know hear especially friends and family of baz uh i i knew him kind of indirectly uh obviously because we both participated in the same shows from time to time obviously he was a much bigger part i just guested once in a while uh summer series and a few other things over the years but uh i think anytime someone from the community that's at least notable um that announcement is made uh just kind of acknowledging that and it it kind of got me on the like i started thinking more like you know venom me i would say like to varying degrees obviously but a lot of the people in our peer group you know we're kind of getting to that age where like it's like I'm not expecting to wake up and hear the news about any one of us. And I don't mean on this specific podcast, but just in our kind of general peer group. It's not necessarily that you're expecting it, but we're kind of hitting the wouldn't be 100 percent surprised if like age, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, I think it's a testament to how long like some of us have been podcasting, how 
you know, I, I, when I started, I was in my late twenties. Um, and obviously I've had flows. Like I've gone, there's probably been like a year or two there where I either really slowed down on it or just stopped temporarily, but pretty much, uh, in some, uh, form or fashion, I've, I've been doing this since my you know, late twenties. I'm in my early forties now. I don't see myself like completely stopping anytime soon, but it, it, it kind of hit like when you stop to think about it, it's like if if we, along with like other members in our community in the same age range, if we like continue to do this another 10, 15 years, it's like it's almost going to be a new phenomenon of like people that you primarily know through the podcasting community versus like in real life. You calling me old fucker? <laughs> Not he is. specifically, but just all of us. Because I don't. Fifteen years. <laughs> I'm the youngest one here. My God damn it! What the fuck? No, yeah. but I mean, in all seriousness, I, I never really got to work with Boz. Um, I, I know the voice. I've obviously listened to him, you know, multiple times over the years. Um, I just never got the opportunity to work with him. But obviously, he's a beloved member of the Teapots family and and Legion podcasts in general. So. Obviously, a big rest in peace to our friend. Yeah, uh, same as like uh, I, I didn't really talk to him per se, like on the internet. Like you know, we had like a few comments here and there, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, he's always made some funny fucking comments because I remember this is fucking crazy because like a few weeks ago, like he was talking about like how the Ahsoka show ripped off a character that he created, which would star him. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the Ray Stevenson evil Sith in that show that they show in the trailer, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I did get to record with him once, which was kind of a pleasure to say at least. It was a funny like thing that we did on the Legion podcast YouTube back in the day when Bo did like those round tables, and it was like gateway horror movies. It was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> I was thinking like. Frank and Weenie, and then they were just picking like random, like other, like hardcore horror movies and shit. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's just, like I said, he was just fucking talking on Facebook like a few fucking mu- weeks ago before, like, and then all of a sudden, wow. It's fucking crazy. I, you know, uh, but, uh, God rest his soul and, you know, hope his family and stuff are, uh, Managing through the times, you know, it, it sucks. I, I know how it feels to lose family members and stuff like that. So, yeah, our hearts go out to them. And uh, and for the podcast, you know, like like I said, like memories are going to be in the podcast that are out there with, with his voice on them, you know. Listen to him. He was a funny dude. Like, he he did, like, a, I forget what show it was. Like, he did, like, a, I think there was a show he did with Cord with a uh, fucking uh, – the Witch, we got Obsessive Cinema, mm-hmm. which was fucking a, a funny show because he picked like Time Walker as a movie, you know, which is like this 80s Roger Corman produced like killer alien mummy movie. <laughs> and it's fucking cheesy as all hell. And I actually bought that movie because of that show. But uh, yeah, it's a shame. But uh, yeah, you know, it's crazy to think that one day you're like, You'd be making funny comments and laughing at the post with this guy, and the next minute they're gone. I'm like, 
Yeah, it's it had it's definitely um, like a different world now because like I would say our our parents' generation the connections they make online are are probably primarily like reconnecting with people they already knew in real life like maybe old classmates or old friends but it feels like our generation we were kind of the first that we actually forged friendships and relationships exclusively with people online that we don't necessarily either know in real life or we just don't get a chance to hang out because we don't live you know geographically anywhere close to each other so and now obviously the the generations coming in behind us even more so than us but it feels like we're the first generation that kind of started that because we grew up or if we didn't grow up from childhood at least teenager or early 20s with the internet so we kind of started uh with this and these podcasts it's kind of weird to think that like people like in another what 20 30 years people are going to be listening to podcasts where the hosts aren't even around anymore you know that's it's it's kind of morbid to think but it is a reality of life the same way we you know from 50 60 years ago that uh the entire cast and crew are no longer with us so same kind of concept i guess mm-hmm. but well, uh yeah let's so, talk about something happier <laughs> yeah really you're yeah, bringing me we'll down move on from that somber note um so with that yeah we'll go ahead and try to get ca- caught up on what watching since the last episode so venom i'll kick it to you first all right, well, <laughs> this is going to be a little bit of a shock, but I actually have no horror movies watched over the last few weeks other than the stuff that we've done on Fresh Cuts. Uh, I've just been kind of busy with other stuff. There's there's a lot of movement at my my company, um, especially in solar, which is the, the, the department that I work in. I'm in the solar department. So anyway, the point is that I don't have a lot of movies watched, but I do still have some horror content to talk about. And the first one I'm going to talk about is going to be, actually, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to double up here. And what I'm going to talk about is some anime. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are probably groaning at this point, but I, I've been a lifelong fan of horror anime and I'm still constantly discovering new anime that I absolutely love. So today I want to talk about the two different collections from Jin, uh, Junji Ito. Uh, for those who don't know, Junji Ito is uh, an artist, uh, has a very popular manga in Japan, uh, just potentially one of the premier horror manga. And there are currently two series um, that basically are trying to adapt his manga into basically animated segments in a horror anthology series. Now, if you have Netflix, then you have access to Junji Ito Maniac. Um which, you know, it is on the American Netflix, so you can watch that one right now. And then if you happen to have Crunchyroll, which is the anime streaming app, which I do have, then the one there is called Junji Ito Korikushan. And Korikushan is just the uh, Japanese word for collection. So it's basically the Junji Ito collection. Now, for those who aren't familiar with this guy, um, his manga is spectacular. It, it's all done in black and white, as most manga is. But there's such minimalist drawings that they come off as like very disturbing and off-putting at times. And unfortunately, I have to basically say that both of these series fail in reproducing that kind of 
that tension and creep factor that he has in his manga. I mean, if you get a chance, you know, just look up some of his artwork online. It's, it's literally um, just jaw-dropping at times, but so simplistic that it looks like a child could do it. Um, but like I said, his writing is spectacular. His, his, um, those of you familiar with the film Tomie, with the film series Tomie, uh, he created Tomie. That was one of his uh, short stories for manga. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in the Japanese series, uh, the one on Crunchyroll, they actually do adapt Tomie. There's actually three or four episodes that involve her, that particular character. Um, so if you're a fan of that movie series, then you'd probably be interested in the Crunchyroll series. Uh, Maniac, the one that's on Netflix, is a little Americanized, as is to be expected. But like I said, both series kind of fail in really reproducing uh, the, the horror factor and, and some of his elements that he does in the manga. I still would recommend watching them because I am I, I, I haven't finished either season yet. But like I said, it's an anthology. So, you know, every episode is going to be a different story. Every now and again, there might be characters that kind of go back and forth between episodes. I, I mentioned Tomie in the Japanese series. Um, what uh, Zoa, Zoaichi, something like that, is the name of the kid, the recurring character in the American one. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not nearly as interesting, <laughs> unfortunately. He's a creepy little fucker, but he's not nearly as interesting as Tomie as a character. So anyway, my point is, if you're a fan of Japanese manga, specifically Junji Ito's stuff, there are two series that you can check out. There's one season of each series currently available. To my knowledge, we are getting a second season of the Japanese series, the one on Crunchyroll. I have heard nothing yet about the American series Maniac. So, yeah, I would imagine Derek being the only slight anime fan here would be the only one who may have seen them, but I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think, Derek? Uh, I actually haven't seen any of those shows, but I'm actually a huge Jinji Ito fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he also did Uzumaki, which is uh, mm-hmm. Spiral. Uh, yeah, Spiral, <laughs> fucking awesome. And I'm a huge fan of Tomie, as I'm going to show my camera for the people. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. And it's crazy because he actually, when the, the Japanese released the lighthouse. He, he actually released a uh, with the release. It, it came with like an actual comic book version of the movie done by Junji Ito. Nice, that's awesome. All right, who's next? Me. Go. Go. Well, I know how Mike loves me talking about superhero stuff, <laughs> but. Uh, but since uh, I've seen another superhero movie that I'm not going to mention, because I know Mike likes to troll posts about that movie. Uh, Mike doesn't like fun. I watched the movie uh, Brightburn for the first time that I never actually got to see. Wow. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Yeah, I've seen bits and <laughs> how, pieces how, of it. How did that, I was going to say, how did that slip you like all this time? Oh, I just didn't. Oh, Is it just one of those movies you didn't see when it came out and it just kind of fell, like, between the cracks? Yeah, like, I've seen clips of it and stuff. Like, it was on, and I've seen parts of it, but I never watched, like, the whole thing through. And, oh, yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking, like, that, that whole scene where that fucking car, this fucking, that car scene where that guy's jaw just falls off. Oh, <laughs> God. I was like, I was not expecting the amount of, like, 
oh, even though this is not like directed by James Gunn, it kind of has like that James Gunn aesthetic to Absolutely. it, you know, because it's like his brother and his cousin wrote the screenplay and shit. But uh, yeah, this is kind of cool. You know, you get like little cameos here and there sprinkled throughout, like uh, that whole bar scene. I love the like, one of the one of the because I didn't because I didn't see this movie, but you see like Steve Agee is one of the guys at the bar with the dad and the, <laughs> yep. and he, he went on to play like in you know, the Suicide Squad movie, and you know, and so that was kind of cool. You see like a little cameo by Michael Rooker at the very end, which also kind of connects this movie with another James Gunn movie, which is awesome. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. It was like a good first time watch. I got, I got the 4K. It was fucking. Look gorgeous, like all that red in that movie. Yeah, yeah, man, I I absolutely adored that movie. I did not get to see it in theaters, unfortunately. I just, I, I guess it just kind of slipped through the cracks. But I was able to see it before the end of that year, and it did almost make my top ten. It was like in the twelve, thirteen area. But that that, that fucking movie was such a surprise. You never, ever expect to see a, a superhero movie with that kind of gore, with that kind of tension and atmosphere. Um, and, and I had heard at the time that this was kind of his fuck you to the MCU, because he had just gotten fired from the MCU, you know, for a text that he, or a tweet that he, that like he did like 10 years, years earlier. Yeah, yeah, fucking something ridiculous. So he ends up getting fired from the MCU. He decides, well, fuck superhero movies. I'm going to make the anti-superhero movie. And it's fucking brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And luckily, he did come back to um, to the superhero genre. Obviously, he's back with the MCU for one movie before taking over now as the uh, kind of the head of the DC universe now, which actually may interest me a little bit. Now that he's going to be heading up DC, maybe they'll be putting out good movies now. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> can't wait till they announce Dave Batista as Hugo Strange. Oh, I'm waiting for Jason Momoa as Lobo. Yes. <laughs> Jason Momoa fighting Santa Claus? Come on, that sells itself. But, well, he's pretty much Lobo in that new fucking Fast and Furious movie. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I've actually seen Brightburn. Uh, I saw I saw it once, like when it first uh, was available, and I thought it was good. I, I love I like the premise. Of basically, uh, an evil Superman prototype. Like, what would how would things turn out if someone had Superman's powers but wasn't like the ultimate good guy? Um, and I thought it was it was pretty good, <laughs> to be honest. So it was I was damn good. I, I thought his villain turn was so organic too. Like sometimes when you see somebody like in one of these movies that has a lot of powers and they go evil, it's some trivial, stupid crap that you know kind of turns them. In this one, literally everyone is against this kid. You know, once they figure out what he can do and the fact that nobody can stop him from doing anything he wants, it, it literally turns into a slasher almost. And that's just the brilliance of this movie. I mean, like Derek said, I mean, the, the gore in this is great. There are some great stalking scenes in here. The final scene of the movie is fucking awesome. Yo, I love how this movie is so, it's like the Omen meets Superman. <laughs> Yes! Oh my god, I love it. Angry Superman. Hell yeah, dude. Any day. And it just ends so dark, and you know, like that whole fucking thing with Elizabeth Banks at the end, I'm like, whoa! Yeah, I wasn't expecting totally. that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, yeah, that, that final... Well, maybe not the final final scene, but that final scene with Elizabeth Banks. Holy shit. 
But yeah, definitely something you don't expect. But it, uh, like I said, just very poignant. And it makes sense in the kid's mind. You know, obviously, as a movie viewer, you know, we're, we're yelling at the kid. No, no, they're not. They're not out to get you, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, in, in a 12 year old's head, a 12 year old who is basically a god, um, you know, he's going to see things differently than we do. So, like I said, it's it, his his villain turn is so organic. It makes so much sense. And that's one I wish we would have gotten a sequel for. We're, we're, not, we're not likely going to get one, at least not with James Gunn at the helm. But, man, that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like even like the, the director of this movie, uh, David, uh, whatever the fuck his name is. It's like a Russian last name. He did that fucking Netflix movie, Night Books, which was kind of... Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I did. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, Jessica Jones is an evil witch that eats people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go see Brightburn if you haven't yet. And Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yeah, unless your name is Mike. Yeah. And and then you just don't like fun, so yeah, don't watch Marvel movies. You hate anime. Yeah, I've I've cut all fun out. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so. I'm kind of in a similar boat as Venom. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of horror movies I wasn't prepping for when it comes to shows, but one that I did, um, it's on. It's currently on Tubi, and it's called Trucks. And if uh, oh boy, yeah, if you're not if you're not familiar with this, this was purely like a curiosity watch that I threw on while I was working, and uh, so basically, this is a. a Adaption of the same story used uh, for Maximum Drive, one of Venom's favorite Stephen King stories. Um, yeah, actually, the story the I'm not isn't bad. By the way, I I, I actually read yeah. the story and I do enjoy it. It's the movie I have an issue with. <laughs> so uh... yes, yeah, so if you if you minus all the ACDC, you minus the cocaine uh, ah. influence. You minus the <laughs> you... secret David Lynch directed scene with the baseball field. Yeah, if you if you remove the killer soda machine and replace it with a killer Tonka tr- Tonka truck toy, um, you have trucks. Uh, it's yeah, it's basically the same story, um, and it's God, it, it's definitely like low budget. It definitely feels made for TV. I I have a feeling it was made for Canadian TV, um, Sci-Fi Channel. Um, the cast, you know a lot more obscure although there was a, I think one recognizable person in it but yeah it's Jeff a. a movie I'm probably not going to recommend I, unless you really loved Maximum Overdrive and you're like wow I'm dying to see another adaption of that story but kind of less ridiculous and absurd and just kind of not good <laughs> check out Trucks uh, at your own risk I guess uh, or if you just need <laughs> something to throw on in the background but have you guys seen this movie? Unfortunately, yep. hey, I like it better than Maximum Overdrive. Wow! <laughs> oh wow! I know. I like well, I said, I have I have a personal thing with Maximum Overdrive. I can go on a forty-five minute tirade right now about why that movie bothers me so much, but that's a discussion for another show. But it has Gus. Yeah, it also has Lisa Simpson yelling at me for no fucking reason. Yeah, I'll admit, <laughs> I wish he did get killed by Green Goblin. Right, Yardley Smith. <laughs> Yardley Smith. Oh, yeah, that's one. Yeah, that's one thing I fast forward when I watch that. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, I kept that one short then. So Venom, back to you. All right. Um, I'm going to do another twofer here because uh, I'm going to be talking about these two movies on a, a guest spot coming up soon. And that is uh, the original Resident Evil movies, the ones with Mila Jovovich, not the new Welcome to Raccoon City that came out a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, uh, specifically the first two. I watched the first two recently, and it, it kind of reiterates my love of the first one. Like, it supported the fact that, excuse me, of the second one. Holy shit, I'm, I'm, I spoke out of my ass there. Of the second one. I, I love the second one. The second one, it definitely comes out as like a tropey 90s action movie. But the reason that I like it so much is because that's where the franchise realized what they actually wanted to be. If you remember the first Resident Evil movie, uh, we didn't know if they wanted to make a horror movie, an action movie, uh, a suspense thriller. Like, there were so many genres kind of mixed in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just way too much. They're all and with the second there. movie, they embrace the action. They basically said, okay, we're, they don't abandon the horror necessarily, because obviously it's Resident Evil. It is a horror game by nature. Um, but they definitely embrace the action of the franchise. And I feel like the second one is where Resident Evil kind of got its legs, you know, the, as a franchise anyway, as a, as a film franchise. Despite the third one being potentially the worst one, it is in my opinion. I know a lot of people agree with that, you know. But um, despite that, you know, uh, the third one being kind of crappy, the second one started the trend of where Resident Evil would go. And like I said, I, I genuinely enjoyed that second one a little bit more than the first one, even though the first one technically has more monsters in it. The second one really only has one big monster and then the zombies. Exactly. <laughs> Nemesis. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming you guys have seen at least one or both of these. I've seen the whole franchise. Yep, me mm-hmm. too. And, and part five is the worst, in my opinion. <laughs> but, oh, is it? I'll have to rewatch it. I, it's uh, been a long uh, time. Oh, all the clone <laughs> bullshit. It's fucking annoying. Oh, that was the one with all the Alice's. Yeah, okay. And, and, right. and they're the waste of Leon Kennedy. <laughs> oh, but, uh, yeah, I love Resident Evil, too. God, I think it's one of my favorites, too. The whole... Like, it's crazy, because the director of that movie, it's fucking Alexander Witt, I think. And this is, like, his only movie that he directed. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, because he's, he's actually uh, Ridley Scott's, like, action director. Like, you'll see, like, his name on a bunch of Ridley Scott movies as, like, second unit right. action. Yeah. And, you know, man, you can see, like, that Scott in there, you know, like... You, it kind of some of the scenes kind of remind me of some of like Ridley Scott, like Gladiator and shit like that, like the aesthetic choices and shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and that scene where she fucking runs down that building, so iconic. Exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna assume Mike hates these movies because he hates fun. <laughs> Resident Evil franchise. I mean, I I liked probably like the first half of the franchise the more it went on i started my interest kind of started to fade but i remember really liking like the first few two might be my favorite of the ones i've seen my favorite um, part of four is I the actually, had guest stars from silent hill <laughs> that's right i actually remember liking one it seemed like more than most people when it first came out but it's been so long since yeah. i revisited it that that could be modified by seeing it again. Um, I, I, I think it's because the end of one feels so much like part of the second video game, the way 
she comes out into the street and, and the whole city is demolished. And the the way the ending of one sets up what's to come next, I thought was so well done. Um, and then two, yeah, I, I remember thinking two is really strong. Um, but Gina uh, Gilroy is Jill yeah. Valentine. Oh. <laughs> Even the, yeah, the gonna black have... dude is comic relief. Like the, that dude is funny as hell. Yeah, uh-huh. that's great. <laughs> but I'm gonna have the to guy from the mummies, fucking Carlos, him coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You're on that series, too. Okay. Which one are you, you guys will hear more about that later on, what me and Mike will be doing in a little bit. <laughs> did, you get, did you get Puppet Master 4? Oh, God. No. I think oh, he said I'm doing Extinction. What number is that one? Uh, oh, that's the oh, third that's one. My, oh, oh, third, oh third one? Oh, third, yeah, which is from the yeah. director of Highlander. That's the one in Vegas, yeah. Ugh. I've only seen that the one time, and I remember walking out of the theater hating it. So I might have to revisit it, but yeah. Yeah, I'd have to check my messages again. It just sounds like familiar, extinction, scene extinction, but... You know what I like about Extension? Uh, fucking Lyndon Ashby's in it. Fucking Johnny Cage. <laughs> That's right. Those are fucking $10,000 sunglasses, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Goro. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, back All to right, you, Derek. You're up. Oh me, yeah. Uh, we watched another movie that was one that I heard about for the longest time, but uh, you know, it was from the new, and they got it from uh, Dread Central actually. But this bad Larry out. Oh boy, uh, it's called The Lake. It's from Thailand. It is a giant monster movie. Ooh, how is that? I, I've been wanting to see it. It's it's pretty. Uh, the thing about it that I liked, it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of, but that's also what hurts it too, because it's kind of like a basic bitch monster movie in the sense of the story beats. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. Venom yeah, yeah, knows yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but the monster design's fucking awesome, and uh, it's done by a. Who do I I forget the guy's name, but he did, he worked on like Cloverfield and shit, and I think he, he's, he's a sculptor, yeah. And the monster looks fucking awesome, and they, it's a mixture of practical and CGI, which you know, they actually, I'm actually shocked how many fucking practical shots were in this movie because you, you really don't get them for these type of movies anymore, and it's fucking awesome in that sense. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a basic bitch monster movie that kind of turns into Gorgo. Ha! You know, in the sense of the story beats. And it has like this weird fucking ending, which I think they're trying to set up for a sequel. Hmm. I but I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, not the worst. You know, it's kind of like middle, but it's worth a watch. It, it actually has some good moments and a good suspense. The score is... Another thing that threw me off because it's a Thailand movie, fucking, it ends with like this weird like pop song. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know. So I mean, at least it's not a Hindi song and dance, you know. Uh, imagine. I mean, right. they, they actually do have a creature feature from India that I want to check out <laughs> called Creature. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, the lake worth a watch. Is it the best? No, but. I've seen a lot worse. Nice. Yeah, I'm still waiting for an American release of that shit. Yo, I got it. 
Yeah, it, Dread Central put it on Blu-ray. Oh, did they? Oh, it's on physical. All right. Yeah. Cool. I think it's on like the rent too, like on Amazon, maybe. Okay. I'll yeah. check it out. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I finally got around to watching that Winnie the Pooh slasher movie. Have you guys seen that? No. I loved it. <laughs> I, I, I think I liked it so much because I was expecting absolute garbage. Like, I, I figured it was going to be just the worst fucking thing ever. And I flat out enjoyed it. I don't care. I'll be that guy. No, hey, I'm I'll the guy, be that who guy liked too. the Banana like, Splits movie. I also like that one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's hard for me to say the Winnie the Pooh movie was, like, legitimately good, but it was a lot better than I expected. Like, I had oh. fun with it. I, I like that they kept it pretty straightforward they didn't try to like give too much of a convoluted story they pretty much knew that hey this is a gimmick movie so let's just stick to the gimmick and that's that's how we'll win over some i guess some people in the audience and Mm. for me it worked for what it was like it's it's not going to be mistaken for any award-winning type movie but if you (laughs) if you if if you hear that hey a winnie the pooh slasher movie is coming out this is probably, or they're probably giving you what you would expect, and sometimes that's all you can ask for. So, um, honestly, I, I was good like I said, I, I was expecting a lot worse. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what I was expecting, but I, I partially I was expecting that it was just going to be some guy in a Winnie the Pooh costume, um, you know, or or you know some other weird mutation that he just looks like a bear, so they call him Winnie or whatever. But the fact that Christopher Robin is in it and like the first little bit of the story of the movie is actually um, kind of beat for beat the same as the original book as the uh, oh, what was the name of that author? Shit. Who wrote Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> How the fuck do I know? Uh, I used to know. It's like uh, anyway, uh, point is. I, I was the fact that they, that it actually felt like it was actually in the thousand acre or the hundred or the thousand acre wood, whatever the name of the wood. Hundred acre woods. The hundred acre wood. I fucking just that whole intro. I absolutely adored how Winnie goes from this loving little bear to now a fucking psychomaniac. Oh, I absolutely it worked for me. So just like same with the Banana Splits movie and Willie's Wonderland. There, there's like a guilty pleasure um, factor to it that just it really spoke to me. And like I said, when I see a horror movie based on Winnie the Pooh is coming out, of course I'm going to expect garbage. Why wouldn't I? But yeah, it was a flat out surprise. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, it would have been great though if they got Jim Cummins to do the voice. Oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard, uh, I know they just released uh, the teaser for uh, Five Nights at Freddy, and people are yep. saying that trailer actually looks good. So yeah, those people that haven't seen those people that haven't seen Willie's Wonderland. That's what I mean. I think I think they might have missed the boat a little bit. Willie's Wonderland might have uh, kind of stolen a little bit of that thunder. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see because now that we have Willie's Wonderland and we've kind of established the guy locked in a, you know, restaurant with animatronic, you know, villains, they've got something to work against, you know? So it's like, now we're going to, we're all going to be comparing it to Willy's Wonderland. And considering I fucking loved Willy's Wonderland, it's got an uphill battle. That's for sure. And plus, plus you have Nick Cage. That's right. I mean, Nick Cage as the fucking voiceless janitor. Ah, they're going to get to play in the Blumhouse one. You know, (laughs) Fucking Justin Timberlake. Oh wait, what? I don't even know. Who, I don't even know who's young and 
popular <laughs> these days anymore, Venom. That's how yeah. bad it is. I don't know, Zac Efron, maybe? I don't know. Oh, my God, imagine. <laughs> Even he's in his 30s. I say, we're, we're all still... <laughs> we're old. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, I think it's back to you, Venom. All right, so the last thing I'm going to talk about is uh, something I know uh, certain people probably aren't real big fans of, but, yeah, I'm going to be talking about a video game. But, at the very least... I'm going to be talking about the top horror video game out right now. It's only been out for a couple of weeks, and that is, of course, Dead Island 2. Ooh. I I fucking love Dead Island. I The thing is, is that Dead Island works for me because it's a slow, it's kind of a slower paced zombie game. It's, it's a first person melee game, even though there are guns in it. I wouldn't call it a first person shooter because mostly you're, it's hand to hand combat or well with weapons like blunt weapons and things like that. But I, Dead Island has always spoken to me, especially as a fan of the Romero, you know, zombies, the slower moving, uh, you know, um, the shamblers, if you will. Dead Island has always worked for me as a franchise. And Dead Island 2 is just more of the same. This is the third game in the franchise now after Dead Island and Dead Island Riptide. This game is over 10 years in the making. Dead Island Riptide, I believe, was like 2011 or 12. They had announced a true sequel, Dead Island 2, back in 2014. We even had a trailer for it. But then it got scrapped. It got picked up by a different developer. Then it got scrapped again. It, it eventually went through three different developers before Deep Silver finally picked it up, picked it up and made what is a very solid game. Uh, Again, it's not going to be revolutionary. It's not Call of Duty Zombies by any stretch. Like I said, it's, it's a much slower-paced game. Um, you know, it's definitely not Left 4 Dead. Like, Left 4 Dead would be the complete opposite of Dead Island, where, where it's just hordes of zombies and you're just, you know, overcome with them. This one, you know, it's a little bit slower-paced. Most of the zombies are walkers. There's a couple of runners in there, too, some of the specialized zombies. But... What, where this game shines is in its gore system. This gore system is fucking amazing. If you hit a zombie in the face with an axe, you actually get an axe wound on the face, uh, you know, with flesh hanging off of it and blood. But then uh, to counter that, if you hit him in the face with like a mallet, their jaw will literally fall off after a few hits. Like the, this gore system like is Brightburn. amazing. I could not get over it. Like, this, this is easily the best score I've ever seen in a video game. The, just the way that these bodies just fly apart when you're using, you know, specialized weapons or the way that you can maim them and just kind of cut their legs off and then just make fun of them as they try to crawl towards you, whatever the case may be. Um, it's a big game. I have already finished it, but that's just because I played it, you know, like five, six hours every single night since it came out. Uh, right now I'm, I'm at uh, I'm at the post game uh, where where I'm just getting all the extra side quests that I didn't do uh, during my first game. It's not a true open world game. There are actually 10 different areas in the game that you can kind of go back and forth to. Areas like uh, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Ocean Drive. Oh yeah, did I mention that the game takes place in LA? I may have forgotten to say that, but yeah, it takes place in a beautifully rendered LA like uh, the Santa Monica Pier is there, you know, with the amusement park and everything. It's just so, so cool. Um, so for somebody like me who actually lives in L.A., uh, and I'm a zombie fan, and I'm a Dead Island fan, this this game just checks all the boxes. I mean, 
as of right now, this is my game of the year. And, and I honestly thought the Dead Space remake would kind of take that title. But I'm, I'm just having so much fun with this. There's six different characters that you can play with all different specialties and abilities. Um, there is a skill tree system. You know, RPG gamers are familiar with the skill tree. Um, it, it works a little bit different than your standard, like, JRPG. But it's, you know, it, it's based more on cards. It's like a card system. But I just... I can't say enough about this game. It's not going to change the world. Uh, it's not going to sell 10 million copies. It's just one of those games that really speaks to me and what I want to do in a zombie video game. So, yeah, if, if, if anybody's ever played Dead Island, uh, there's no reason you wouldn't like Dead Island 2. Obviously, it just came out, so it's still going to have a $70 price tag on it, but it's well worth it, in my opinion. And I will play through all six characters just to kind of see... Um, you know, what the differences are. Uh, from what I understand, endings might be slightly different based on the character you pick. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited. And I, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna be playing that for the next couple of months. So my horror movie numbers are definitely going to go down because I'm going to be killing zombies in L.A. Hell yeah. <laughs> How do you compare Dead me. Island 2 to like, uh, like a dying light? Dying Light's a little bit more action-paced, action-oriented. Like, um, it's a more of an orient, action-oriented game, right? That's the one with the parkour? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that one is a lot more action-oriented. This one, it's more about strategy. Like, when you see a gang uh, of, of zombies, they don't notice you right away, so you actually get, like, a few seconds to kind of come up with a game plan. You know, do you want to do a combination of grenades with a gun or do you want to kind of go in with your most awesome melee weapon and just take them all out in one swing um there's definitely little options like that that make the game enjoyable uh yeah i mean i can't say enough good things about it like i said it's not revolutionary it's not a 10 out of 10 i don't think you know the gaming hordes are gonna rush out to get this one but for whatever it's worth it works for mr venom does that have <laughs> samurai swords in it Oh my God! Samurai swords, ninja swords, um, those those axe things that like ninjas use the dual axes. Like, j dude, oh. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh. You can electrify these swords. You can imbue them with acid, so they actually melt the flesh of the zombies when you hit them with the sword. Oh my God! It, it's so awesome. <laughs> I'm talking yeah, about the I, game way more than I should, but just because I love it. I personally love it. I don't know how ever other people are going to feel about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to get it eventually. I just, I got a bunch of games, so I'm trying to go through those first, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure I finished the Dead Space remake before I picked this one up, and I was able to, so nice. <laughs> what are they going to remake Dino Crisis? Why don't they give us a real Dino Crisis movie? I've been waiting for that for like 20 fucking years. Yeah. Like a well, good sort one. Of like a, a legit, great Dino Crisis movie. Yeah, it got bad reviews, but isn't that kind of like, what, that 65? Yeah, 65. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what everybody was saying. It's like, oh, this looks like Dino Crisis, but not nearly as good. <laughs> with, with Kylo Ren. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kylo Ren I, I, to stay in a galaxy far, far away. I played the first Dino Crisis when it first came out. I forgot was the story about that that we had like kind of Jurassic Park like clone dinosaurs, and that's like how they existed. I I can't remember. It's been so yeah. Damn I can't long. remember either. It's yeah. literally been like twenty years. There's no. I would assume I mean, so because it mm -hmm. didn't feel like it took place like in the past. It felt like 
you were running around in present day or like near future, so it had to have been like cloning. Yeah, imagine a remake like it was Resident Evil Four fucking graphics. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I was a big fan of the first uh, Dead Island and uh, Dying Light, so I probably am gonna eventually pick up Dead Island Two. Um, I just have a handful of games on playing, so I don't. I just don't want to, especially right now because it's definitely. What are you in the middle price, of, Mike? So. Uh, I'm still playing Dead Space, Dead Space, Dead Cells, Castlevania. Um, What else? I grabbed something because I I keep getting uh, games off the PlayStation uh, Premium because you just get access every month to so many free games that it's like I'm starting to like compile them on the hard drive even though I don't have time to necessarily play them. Or it it gives me a chance to just try stuff out to see if I like it, you know? No harm, no foul. Um, Yeah. But uh, I, I just beat, like, a space shooter. So, you know, I've been putting in some game, game more than I'm, like, used to. Uh, just finding, like, an hour here, an hour there to get in some gaming. Been playing a uh, Mar- uh, new Super Mario Brothers Deluxe with the kids on the on the Switch. Um, Overcooked 2 with the kids. So, also, <laughs> yeah, so some of my gaming time also has to go to them. So <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. feel you. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's me, is that me now? I think so, yeah. Yep. Damn, how am I going to follow up that? I finally watched Evil Dead Rise, everybody. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did, it, did it rise to your expectations? Yeah, I, I really like so much. I liked it. A lot, actually. Now, I'm not going to say it's like my favorite in the franchise. It's, you know, no. but, you know. I kind of like it's so like a different approach to Evil Dead. It kind of has kind of like the more of the psychological stuff of the first movie, with like the dead ice and shit in it, mm-hmm. which I kind of liked. Uh-huh. You know, and the it makes sense with the director. You know, fucking uh, Lee Cronin who did like a hole in the ground, which we actually reviewed. Yeah. So fucking mm-hmm. just the movies. That's right. Just, oh, love that movie. Yeah, and you know. And it's cool, and you know, I love like the fucking reference that there's three books. It goes back to Army of Darkness and shit, where there's actually three Necronomicons there and shit like that. And I, I love that little touch and you know, a little attention to detail and shit. And you know, I just like it. You know, it's a little bit different because we never, you know, we always used to the cabin or Army of Darkness, but you know, it's cool to see it like in like a different setting for once. And you know. You know, is it perfect? Ah, I, you know, some of the acting was kind of shaky for me in the movie with some of the characters. But, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I had fun with it. You know, the fucking, especially that fucking giant mutant thing at the end. I love that. I <laughs> fucking Lovecraftian nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking love that. That was awesome. And how it got disposed of was cool. Yeah. Wood chipper, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun movie. You know, uh, I'm going to watch it again probably after this because I own it on fucking Voodoo. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I, obviously we talked about it on Fresh Cuts. That was a you know a big anticipated episode for us. And ultimately, I think we all enjoyed it. We all kind of said the same things about it. You know, um, is it uh, is it the best Evil Dead? No, not remotely. But you know, considering how bad horror sequels can sometimes be, 
Um, I thought this was really, really well done. This is also the second franchise, big horror franchise of the year to drastically change their setting. Obviously, Scream 6, you know, took place in New York, you know, as opposed to, you know, um, Woodsboro. (laughs) Woodsboro. Thank you. Uh, and now here with the Evil Dead, we have an Evil Dead movie set in the city in a, in a skyscraper as opposed to a cabin in the woods. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought they did both movies, honestly, but Evil Dead Rise specifically. Um, I thought the performance of the mom was spectacular. I thought she was just so perfectly cast. Yeah. She had this perfect, she had this perfect face where when she was a when she was human, she's just this gorgeous redhead, just beautiful cheekbones, like you know, statuesque almost. But then as a fucking deadite, she's fucking terrifying. She's got that big mouthful of teeth and something about those eyes, the way that her eyes are set. Uh, it just, yeah, perfect fucking casting. I, I couldn't get over, you know, what a great deadite she made. And the shit that came out of her mouth. Holy shit. <laughs> oh. oh, and that little, the little daughter started throwing up fucking crawlies and... <laughs> it was my favorite, like her, like when she's a dead eye. I get yep. to keep the crawlies out of my tummy. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh man, <laughs> mommy's with the maggots now. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, the more I think about that movie, the more I actually enjoy it. Ultimately, it's a, it's a terrible thing to say because it is such a good movie. It, ultimately, it's still going to be number four uh, or five on my list of Evil Dead franchise movies. Um, oh, just because the Evil Dead franchise really does speak to me. You know, the first two movies are absolute classics. Evil uh, Army of Darkness, you know, took a little bit of a left turn with the franchise, but it's still endlessly entertaining. Yeah, and love I'm not even Harryhausen, you know. Exactly. And then the remake, the 2013 remake, I fucking adore that movie. That movie is a 10 out of 10 to me, and no one will ever change my mind. That fucking movie is brilliant. So, you know, I found myself referencing the 2013 remake a lot during the Fresh Cuts episode, only because it was the last Evil Dead movie. So, of course, you know, there's going to be a little bit of the compare game. But ultimately, Rise is still an incredibly fun movie. And yeah, I'm right there with Derek. I'll probably buy it. That, that, that's definitely a buyer. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have much to add because we talked about it, and I pretty much share most of the same thoughts with Venom. I did like Evil Dead Rise. Uh, good, not great, but definitely fun, and definitely it definitely is going to have rewatches. Like, it's 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 an easy movie to, to watch. Like, the style, uh, you know, very simple story to kind of get you into the action and for the most part evil dead movies they have like that formula you know a, a group of some sort stumble upon a necronomicon and the incantation is read at some point and you know what comes next and uh <laughs> it, it doesn't your soul. yeah you I, if uh, regardless of like what evil dead you like better than others the one thing you can kind of hand it to this franchise, they've been able to pretty much keep the same formula throughout them. Obviously, Army of Darkness, as Venom mentioned, that's one that probably deviates the most. But it's still good in its own right. It's just oh, yeah. different. But for the most part, uh, anytime there's a sequel or a remake in this franchise, including like the show, they understand that fundamentally this is all you need to do for the setup and then just go have fun the rest of the, the way through. And for the most part, they all deliver on the, 
way. So yo, I nerd, yeah. I nerded, I nerded out hard when they brought back Dead by Dawn. Dead by Dawn. Oh hell yeah. I, I mean, like this is a franchise it. that, honestly, you know, more than Scream and Nev Campbell, more than um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Heather Langenkamp, this is a franchise that I thought would not be able to do a successful entry without their main star, Bruce Campbell. I mean, Evil Dead without Bruce Campbell, you know, 20 years ago would have been, like, sacrilegious. But obviously, starting with the remake and then with uh, Evil Dead Rise, uh, they've they've done it twice. They've made two great Evil Dead movies without Bruce Campbell, and that's saying a lot. And the fact that he might be coming back too for another entry, years after he said he was done playing Ash, I mean that's that's exciting to any horror fan. Fuck yeah, I want to see him as Ash and Pizza Papa in the same movie. <laughs> yeah. When, when it comes to this franchise, it's like never say never because look at how long, look at how long Evil Dead three or whatever was supposedly rumored. Then we got three seasons of the Ash versus Evil Dead show, which I really really liked. I never thought something like that would ever happen. Um, so if Bruce Campbell is even saying a maybe about it, well, that gives me a little... Hope Yo, it would be crazy if they just connect all fucking three movies, like, franchises into one movie. I'm waiting for it, man. Bring back Bruce, Jane Levy, and uh, fucking uh, whatever Lee survivor Pablo, from this movie. I would like. Kelly oh, right, Pablo and, and Dana. Yeah, yeah, from the movie. It's almost too much now. Uh, not from the movie, from the series, excuse me. But yeah, that's almost too much. Shit. Oh. <laughs> it's going to get cluttered. And just having I would fucking love to kill. see an Ash versus Evil Dead movie, though. I would have yeah. loved to have seen like a movie to just kind of close out that storyline. That would have been cool. Not that, yeah, not that I have major problems with the final season. Not at all. Uh, I'm actually okay with how it ended. But I, I, I honestly thought, because of the popularity of that series, that we were going to get a movie. Like, you know, Ash versus Evil Dead, the end, or something stupid like that. But no, nope, yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah, That's okay. That would have been cool. We're still getting Evil Dead movies, so I'm happy. All right, I think it's back to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, who who's a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation? Nobody. All right, I guess we can move on to the next segment. <laughs> Mike, watch Next Generation. Reason, next topic. Yeah, McConaughey. I did. I did like McConaughey in it. I I feel like McConaughey in a vacuum, or the character he plays in a vacuum. That could fit into a Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. That Yo, he's just playing the same family, character but... he plays in Sahara in this movie. Uh, yeah, more or really? less. Uh, or, or he's <laughs> he just like the Sahara. injured version of his of his character in Killer Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Killer Joe's the like sophisticated version of this character. Yeah, like the drugged out, injured leg robot leg version of the Killer Joe character, but um. <laughs> Yeah, this movie sucks. And, like, I always remember... And they bring in the it, Illuminati. But... Oh, God. Yeah, is this the one with Renee Zellweger? Uh, yes. Yeah. It is. Okay, yeah, this is awful. <laughs> it's the movie they supposedly, like, wanted buried because, like, they're like, we don't oh. want it to affect our career. <laughs> eh, McConaughey got his Oscar. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, that, it didn't that, seem that, to hurt that. either one of them, honestly. No, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But yeah, it was a pretty bad. And this one, I think, was trying to build itself as a remake, not a sequel. So, uh, reboot, fail, I, I, Re- Yeah, this is like 
the even like the Leatherface character in this is just not good and Oh, that's the worst. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Awful. No good, and I don't think anyone wants to talk about it any longer, so uh <laughs> That's the, that definitely tells you folks that Mike really hasn't been watching any movies because he brought Texas Chainsaw the next generation to the table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been I just been busy like prepping for other things, and then I I went to uh, get my notes for th- this episode. And I looked where I usually put in like all the because I would usually have more than three things on my list just in case I change my mind on what I actually want to bring up. And this right. time it was pretty bare bones, so I was like, all right, I have to bring up literally the only things that I watched this time. Yeah, we'll have we'll have some better movies for you next time, folks. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three review coming soon. That'll be me. And, that'll be just me and Derek, though. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, as far as news goes, only I mean I was going to bring up that we're having streaming streaming service consolidation, so I guess that's a win for physical media buyers because uh, some of these streaming services are consolidating and dropping content like original content I, i'm sure it has to do with like the residuals that they don't want to pay people licensing, um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah licensing and and all that because a lot of it's like their own original programming which people were like confused about at first but it's, a, it's like yeah because it sits there and every time it gets streamed they probably have to pay out i would imagine it's not a ton but it could vary show to show and actor to actor how much they agreed you know to to pay out but um there's that going on so physical media buyers for the win i guess <laughs> yeah okay. uh and it's not like we're going to be getting any new content any anytime soon with the writer's strike going on so yeah what you can get <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. that's right um yeah i play poker with wow. a couple writers that are on strike out here and yeah they're not happy at all and they're talking about this strike's going to be potentially longer than the one from 2007. So, yeah, we might not be getting new content very much for a while. At least not on so, TV. Announced today, Winnie the Pooh sequel with Nick Cage. <laughs> I'm not sure the extent issues you have on the but does the role, the current and future role of AI play into like these uh, breakdowns too at all? For which I'm sorry, for like the writers, like I'm wondering if like oh the, no no the the the, whole, the the major catalyst of the strike is streaming. Um, uh, writers generally make a lot of money on um, syndication. When a TV uh-huh. show goes to syndication, uh, that's when the writers really get a lot of money. Um, but with streaming series, there is no syndication. They're just always there. If you want to watch Stranger Things season one, it's right there on Netflix. You can go watch it. But the writers of Stranger Things season one don't get any extra money. So, I mean, th- there's multiple factors in this strike, but that's the big one. It's it's residuals for streaming. Damn. Yeah, I'm curious how it's going to get resolved because we already see how much it it's kind of messed uh, artists, like music artists over like Spotify and how little they get per yeah. like stream. Um and I would imagine the studios want to hold firm because I think not that I agree with the like the big studios argument at all, but I think what they're saying is like, oh, we probably they probably are arguing that well, we don't get nearly the same amount of revenue as we would from like advertisers on actual like you know dinosaur legacy TV, so they're like exactly. we can't pay it out. But 
then when you look at their profit margins, it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> You're still raking in the money somehow. So it's going to be interesting. And it's, I, yeah, I don't anticipate this being a short strike at all. And yeah. I don't, I, do they have, like, because I'm trying to think back at previous strikes or breakdowns. Are there, are there potentially, like, scab writers that they would bring in to, like, oh, yeah. start writing oh, other stuff? I, yeah. I know a scab writer, too. <laughs> I, 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 you know, for those who don't know, I live in Southern California, so a lot of the poker games I play at have like uh, directors, producers, stars. Sometimes I've, you know, I've mentioned playing with like J.K. Simmons and guys like that multiple times. But yeah, um, the scab writers are coming out now. Um, there's even talk right now because there were series that were canceled, but the, but were completely written. Um, some uh, Twin Peaks fans might right, might remember that there was a third season of Twin Peaks on Showtime back in 2017. Uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost actually did write a fourth season. Like, it's already written and ready to go. And I've heard that if the writer's strike goes too long, they're going to start making stuff like that. Stuff that's already written that got scrapped or put on the shelf or whatever. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also I also saw a story just yesterday plays today. Poker with Joe J and Jameson. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I saw a story yesterday. I don't remember what streaming service it is because I can't remember who the parent company who owns the properties. But there's a supposedly there was an Alien versus Predator TV show that's already been filmed and it's done, but they just never released. Yeah, it's like it. an I'm animated one too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm wondering like, okay, if this strike. Because, you know, like I think Venom just alluded to, the longer the strike goes on, the more content they're going to need. So it, I'll be curious to see if there's like a lot of stuff we just don't know about that's sitting on the shelf that the streaming platforms would be like, okay, we're just going to start putting this stuff out so we can so we can technically say, look, we're putting out new programming still. Um, but I will admit that's one that I would want to see. I, I, I'd want to yeah. check it out at least, you know. Definitely. Absolutely. Okay. I didn't even know we were getting a new Alien movie, too. It's fucking yeah. nuts. Oh, yeah. Betty Alvarez, too. Betty. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah, dude. I love Betty. Instead he of raining blood, for... it's going to be raining acid. <laughs> yeah. Betty is in my heart forever because of that Evil Dead remake. Absolutely. <laughs> Yo, it would be awesome if they cross over with Don't Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> blind Deadites? <laughs> with, the blind, with the blind guy fucking... On aliens? <laughs> oh, aliens! I'm sorry. Uh, blind? Oh, oh. So who? Yeah, like Stephen Lang and Dope. Do <laughs> Stephen Lang and and Michael Bean together again. That would be amazing. <laughs> the only other news item I have is one that uh, should not shock Venom, but easily still might disappoint him. <laughs> Oh, heard, uh, we're, yeah, we're, yeah word out of the uh, early screenings for Exorcist, whatever the hell the subtitle is, not good. And nope. I don't think we're surprised at all, Venom, are we? <laughs> oh, gee, David Gordon Green made a subpar horror movie? I'm fucking shocked. Yeah, and the funny thing is, it's like, I, I'm not sure why people are surprised, because look, Halloween, good or bad, at least, like, if anything, it's a slasher. So you would think if there's any type of horror movie that would be more friendly for like new creators to do adaptions of it'd be a slasher movie because for the most part there's a simple formula but yeah. when it comes to the exorcist there's something unique about the actual exorcist now of course since then exorcism movies have kind of become tropey 
and like a dime a dozen. But if we're talking about The Exorcist, and you're saying, and I think this was supposed to be written like it's a sequel to the first Exorcist, it's like, well, you can't just do a run of the mill exorcism movie that we've seen a hundred times before. Like you're you're taking on the obligation and the responsibility of carrying the name The Exorcist. And it sounds like people aren't happy with what it uh, has uh, resulted in so far. So I'm sure there'll be reshoots. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't care what they do. I just don't have much hope that it's going to be any good. Oh. good. Look, folks, <laughs> who's what genius decided to remake one of the greatest horror movies ever made? It just doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, I, I understand originality is dead in Hollywood, you know. Um, but, you know, to remake The Exorcist, I mean, what the fuck? What's next? The Godfather is going to get remade? Fuck you. David okay, Gordon just... Green is the Godfather. Oh, my God. Stuff. Stop it. Starring Keanu Reeves as Vito Corleone. Oh, no, I still no, watch no. it, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, I, I try not to rail against remakes and, and you know, long-time sequels, like sequels, like the 20 years past the original, whatever the case may be. I try not to get too crazy about them because sometimes they're good. Admittedly, sometimes they're good, but most of the times they're not. And you're talking about the exorcist. You're talking about a 10 out of 10, a near flawless film. And in David Gordon Green's fucking machismo thinks that he can actually do justice to this material. Him and Dane the, the man who just ruined Michael Myers? I mean, no. Just, just no. Fuck off. Get, come up with an original idea, you fucking hack. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm all pissed off. Good job, Mike. And The Exorcist already has a great sequel called The Exorcist 3. Ah, a spectacular sequel. George C. Scott, one of the greatest actors ever. Come on now. Talking about tarp. <laughs> a damn car. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best scene of all time. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is like if if this is a failure, it's like is he just gonna find the next franchise that I'll go now I need to resurrect. Like I'm already dreading uh, Nightmare. He's turning into Rob Zombie. Like, please don't touch it. <laughs> God, he's yeah, turning into fucking Rob Zombie, but with no style. At least Rob Zombie has a style. You know, like when his movies are bad, you can still tell they're a Rob Zombie movie. David Gordon Green, he doesn't have a style. He's not James Wan or any of these guys whose movies you can pick out. He's just some random horror director who, admittedly, after the first Halloween uh, 2018, I was kind of praising because I did love that movie. I absolutely loved 2018. But just steadily, that trilogy just got worse and worse, and it just uh, such an insult yeah, yeah. to Michael Myers. And, and the fucking crazy thing is, I actually love his comedy movies, and you know, yes, you know, and it's fucking crazy that the guy who made Pineapple Express fucking made Halloween fucking <laughs> that whole trilogy, and I'm like, yeah, uh, who, who yeah. thought this was a good idea? With it was Jason Blum smoking weed with him one day. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> you know, like... But, yeah. David, go back to the comedy shit. Stay Please. away from horror. Yeah. Leave Make a secret for your highness. The thing is, is that you gotta... You, you, you can't talk to David Gordon Green. You gotta talk to the people who have his ear. The people that keep telling him, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you should do another horror remake. Talk to those people so that they stop feeding that shit to David Gordon Green, you know? Just stop it. <laughs> It's all the people that blew that fucking movie. I'm like, oh, is he like, like, 
you know that. It was like people that usually would hate shit like this were fucking like, this is amazing. Well, it fucking yeah. boggled my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I know somebody who's, uh, that was their number one movie of the year. <laughs> I'm leaving that one alone, but yeah. Halloween fucking ends was somebody's number one movie of the year last year. Holy shit. I want to kick someone in the mouth so That's bad. That's a shitty list. <laughs> uh, let's move on before I get in, even more angry. Uh, yeah, that's all the news I had. Do you guys have any news? No, no I just no, want to I, talk I, about I... that Gandalf trying to molest Brendan Fraser in the next movie. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I scoured the sites today. I didn't really see anything worth discussing. Which is kind of fucked up because that actually did happen to Brendan Fraser in real life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you're back, All right. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, we are. Um, okay, well, with that said, uh, I guess we'll take our break and come back with a couple uh, movies. This, this time up, it was Venom's picks. Venom, what movies did you choose? All right, I, I decided to do something a little bit different. Obviously, you know, we this is episode 53, so we've done 52 episodes filled with horror movies. Uh, I, I decided I wanted to have a little change of pace. At first, I was thinking about grabbing a couple of Japanese movies, but since we did Asian horror with the Shaw Brothers last episode, I thought about doing some docudramas about horror movies and horror creators, so... Shadow of the Vampire is one that came to mind right away. Um, You know, very popular movie from 2000. Um, I saw it a few times and I have always had a good time with it. So that was the obvious pick. Uh, The lesser pick is one that I've never seen before. So this was actually a first time watch for me. And that was Gods and Monsters from 1996, uh, starring Ian McKellen, Brendan Fraser, uh, Lynn Redgrave, uh, countless others. But uh, yeah, uh, a couple of docudramas today. One of them is a true docudrama. The other one kind of comes off more like a dark parody. But, you know, we'll talk about that when we come back. All right. Sounds good. So we'll be right back with Gods and Monsters and Shadow of Vampire. Flight, sound, okay for sound. Action. The Bride of Frankenstein. A man with a legendary career behind him. Who's this new yard man? Mr. Boom, by I thought something big. He came cheap. A man with his life still ahead of him. Hey, the master wants to know if you're free for lunch. I do have a lawn this afternoon. Been free until then. Expect nothing fancy. Come in, Miss Boom. Separated by class. Are you famous? I was merely a director. You have the most architectural scowl. Have you ever sat for an artist? By time. You were a soldier. I was an officer in the trenches. And by desires. All I know is bugger. He's a bugger. Does that surprise you? I'm not. You know. Mm. I did not think you were a bugger at all. They have nothing in common. Mr. Clayton Boone. My gardener. He's never met a princess. Only queens. Except their humanity. I've spent much of my life outrunning the past. And now it floods all over me. I'm losing my mind. Every day a new piece of it goes and soon there'll be none of it left. 
my condition will continue to deteriorate until the end of my life. Why are you here? Let's get this straight. What did you want from me? What do you want? Just back from the hospital already, you're chasing after boys. Oh, shut up. Man's got to make up his life alone. A philosopher. Thoreau, with a lawnmower. Do you believe people come into our lives for a purpose? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> so, we understand each other. Open my bill. Roll camera. Iris in. Begin. It's been a fitful night, but you wake refreshed. What is that beside you? It's a book about vampires. Nosferatu. Director F.W. Murnau had an obsession to create the world's most realistic vampire movie. Meet Count Orlog. The overture to our symphony of horrors. He dug up an actor. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get him. Who didn't just play the part. But you're not feeding. No, you're not drinking her blood. He lived it. What is the matter with you? Where did you find him, really? From Lionsgate Films and producer Nicolas Cage comes the haunting tale of the uncompromising. You, you will have no close-ups. No. The unimaginable. Blood! Blood! And the undead. Academy Award nominees John Malkovich. I will finish my picture. And Willem Dafoe. This is hardly your picture any longer. Shadow of the Vampire. How dare you destroy my photographer? Why not the script girl? I'll eat her later. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. All right, folks, and we are back now to discuss our feature reviews for the episode. First up, we're going to look at Gods and Monsters. This film was released in, in the States in 1998. It sat on a shelf for a couple of years because technically it was made in 96. This one is directed by Bill, and written by Bill Condon. It stars, as I mentioned earlier, Ian McKellen, Brendan Fraser, and Lynn Redgrave. This is basically the story, as IMDb puts it in their synopsis, it is the last days of Frankenstein director James Whale's life, and these days are explored. Um, 
definitely some liberties are taken with this. Um, for the most part, yes, this is a very accurate depiction of, you know, the last few days of James Whale's life. But obviously there's some glorification here. It, it is a film, so you have to put some stuff in there to make it more interesting for the uh, for the viewer. But this was definitely a, a first time watch for me, something I had never seen before. Very interested, though, because, you know, I'm a big Ian McKellen fan. Who's not, honestly? Uh, Brendan Fraser. To, and to see Brendan Fraser as this chiseled Adonis after he wins an Oscar for The Whale, this was jarring. Like, I forgot that Brendan Fraser was hot at one point. <laughs> I totally forgot. And when he takes his shirt off, it's like, holy shit. Like, that's The Whale. Wow. Okay. So anyway, let's go ahead and start out with uh, Derek. Derek, why don't you jump in here with some of your initial thoughts on gods and monsters? Before I start, Venom, did you? I wanted to know. We actually have talked about Bill Condon on this show before. Yes. Yes. Do you we remember have. what it was? It. Oh shit! I was looking up his filmography earlier, and I, I do remember seeing something in there that was like, "Oh yeah, we talked about that." Yeah, he, he he wrote the screenplay for Strange Behavior, aka Dead Kids. Nice. Oh, I wasn't thinking about that one then, but yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's a very interesting director because he became he was a writer, but then became a director. He did like few movies in the horror, like he did the like, the sequel to Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Yeah. That's where I thought you were going, but then I realized I've never reviewed that movie. <laughs> and, and he even did, was even more infamous because he fucking did a lot of like musicals and shit, like Beauty and the Beast and fucking Dream Girls and shit. I'm like, yeah. I'm, you know, and didn't he did fucking that last Twilight movie, which was dog shit, <laughs> like all the <laughs> Twilight movies. Well, yeah, he did a couple of them, didn't he? Yeah, he did the last two, like the, the last two, okay. Because yeah, it was one movie in two parts. I don't know. Yeah. I've never seen him. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had sisters. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, some of that. Sh- oh my god. But uh, <laughs> yeah, gods and monsters. You know, this is kind of like a, you know, also like the thing that kind of attracted me about this movie is that it's produced by Clyde Barker. Yes, and Nicolas Cage. No, that's the next movie. Nick oh, Cage. that's the next one. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm yeah, getting Clyde my notes. Barker is the producer in this one, and you know, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you know, the thing that's cool about this movie is like all like that flashback shit where they kind of incorporate like all the parts of Wheel's life into like those flashbacks, like some of the monster yeah. stuff, and then like his time in the war, mm-hmm. and you know. Nah, e. McKellen's fantastic as James Wales. Like, like, you know, I've seen like pictures of this dude, and it's like spot on. <laughs> you know, it's great, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little, you know, like I watched this at a very young age and shit, and you know, it's like this is like the first time, I'm like, oh, there's actual like shit like this in movies, where like guys talking about guys in that way, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, I was super young when I saw this. I'm like, I was kind of freaked out, especially with the whole part that happens near the end. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, we'll talk about that later. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it's a fantastic movie in that aspect. And, you know, I love like, like even like the guy they cast as Boris Karloff and like spot on for that time period. It was fucking awesome, you know. (laughs) 
And yeah, it's just a fun movie, and you know, it's like a day in a life. And you know, of course, if you know like the story of James Wheels from like all like the Frankenstein documentaries that was on every fucking DVD release of that movie, <laughs> you know, like his he, it, his life ended tragically from suicide, drowning. And, you know, that's how the movie ends. And I love like the whole like little after dafter scene before that though. Oh, the the ending of that is. <laughs> It's yeah. one of my favorite scenes. I fucking love that. Yeah, especially when it turns to black and white. It's fucking awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, this movie's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely more on, like, the non-horror side of things, but, you know, oh, yeah. the, the imagery is, like, spot-on James Wheel influence, and I like that about this movie. Exactly, exactly. Uh, before Mike comes in and says his piece, I, I want to jump in here a little bit. I, as I mentioned earlier, this is a first time watch for me. I knew of the existence of the film. It's just, you know, uh, dramas and docudramas aren't exactly the kind of content that I gravitate towards. Life is a drama already. I don't need it in my entertainment. But um, I am a big fan of James Whale. I've, I've said it many times before. Bride of Frankenstein is my favorite Universal Monster film. It's absolutely brilliant. Its balance of horror and comedy is stellar. Um, and then the gay, the gay kind of undertones of the film that still kind of peek out. They're, they're obviously a lot more prevalent today when you watch it than if you watched it back in the 30s. But um, and obviously that comes from our director, who was uh, very homosexual at a time when homosexuality really wasn't accepted in Hollywood. It was the kind of thing where if you kept it, you know, in your bedroom, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Um, but obviously, if it kind of came out in the public, it was going to be a giant scandal. So but I mean, it's the performances of these films of this film that drives this movie. Uh, Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, I, I feel like, are both absolutely brilliant. And if you don't believe me, folks, listen to the Academy, because both Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser were nominated for Oscars for this film. Um, Ian for Best Actor, of course, and uh, Brendan for Best Supporting Actor. And then it actually did win an Oscar. This actually is an Oscar-winning film. Uh, Bill Best Condon. Yeah, Best yeah. Adapted Screenplay, which, I mean, that, that's a huge Oscar, you know, um, basically saying... Uh, you made the best movie based on a book or some other content this year. That, that's pretty huge. Um, yeah, a, a original screenplay and adapted screenplay are two of the bigger Oscars. So, yeah, you know, for a guy with horror roots like Bill Condon to come away with an Oscar for adapted screenplay is pretty goddamn awesome. And yeah. ultimately, it, it, it's warranted. I mean, when you watch the movie, these performances, like, you know, I, I'm not generally, like, how can I put it? I don't generally gravitate towards like gay cinema, but when it's done so well and it's not overt in this movie, even though, yes, there's a couple of stories that he tells that are a little over the top. And then one particular pool scene where you've got penis all over the place, but cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, like the homosexuality of the whole thing wasn't really the driving force. It was really his deteriorating mind. And just the fact that this brilliant man who, you know, made some amazing movies was basically confusing, you know, forgetting people, confusing situations in life, uh, you know, um, having hallucinations, blah, 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 seeing his father, just, it, it's all just so sad and, you know, the the ending is kind of apt, if you will. It's very tragic, as Derek said. But ultimately, when somebody who's a creative like that who suddenly starts to lose their mind, it, it's, you know, it's awful. It, you know, it's like an athlete losing their physical ability. It's, it, you know, it's just as tragic there. So, 
Um, but, but Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser. But Brendan, man, what what a performance this is! Like, I'm I'm actually upset I didn't see this sooner because Brendan Fraser to me is Georgia the Jungle and the Mummy and the Mummy movies. Like, that's the most I know from him. Encino uh, Man. Yeah, I never saw Encino <laughs> Monkey man. Bone. Yeah, not my oh. not my movie. Yeah, I, I, I hate Polly Shore. You got to realize anything with Polly Shore in it, I actively boycotted in the '80s and '90s. I just I had no love for that man. So yeah, sadly, I've never seen a Polly Shore movie. Why am I saying sadly? That's like a badge of honor. Fuck that. Oh, <laughs> but um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like I said, this this performance. It really does show a future Oscar winner. I mean, obviously he won the Oscar this year for Best Actor for The Whale, and it really shows an emotional range that I had never seen from him until The Whale. I saw The Whale last year, but like this movie, like this is a performance I didn't know Brendan had in him in the 90s, you know? I thought he was, you know, George of the Jungle and Sino Man, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, at, at best, maybe an action star, you know, with the, the late 90s and the Mummy movies. Oh, but I love him in the Mummy. He's so oh, I absolutely do, too. Him and Rachel Weisz are perfect for those for those movies. But this performance, like I said, it, it, def- the, it took me by surprise. I was not expecting it. And it turned out to be just a, a sheer joy. Like, this is a very slow movie. Like, I, th- I don't know that this is a movie I would recommend to a standard cinemaphile. Beautiful performances, great cinematography, good score. But it is slow. It's a very slow film. There's not, you know, compared to our second film, where there's actual action and tension and horror, this one is really a straight docudrama. But despite that, it still works for me. I had an absolute great time with it. And it, it, it just really it raises Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser's status, in my opinion. Ian McKellen's already a legend, obviously. But to see him play James Whale and to play him so perfectly, too, uh, you know, because James Whale was a little bit of that pervert, you know, that, from documentaries and other things that we've seen in the past, like Derek was saying, from every Frankenstein release. You know, he, he very much was, a guy, was an openly gay man, but just not ultra open about it. But in his own, like that opening scene with the reporter, with the kid, where he's having him strip. Like at first, I didn't know what to think of that scene. I'm like, what the fuck am I looking at? But then as the scene keeps going, I'm like, okay, this actually makes more sense. Like James Whale, this is something that I could see James Whale doing. Whether that scene actually occurred in real life, I don't know. Because like I said, the movie does take liberties with, you know, the quote unquote truth. Uh, but ultimately, the this, the... Um, the aspects of his death that they go over here are real. He he did, you know, commit suicide with pills and jumped into his pool, blah, blah, blah. So um, very, very, very sad ending. But I, I've rambled on enough. Mike, get in here. What do you think of Gods and Monsters? Yeah, this one's really good. Um, obviously, it's, it's connective tissue to the horror genre is kind of... If I like, if you're looking for a horror movie, this probably isn't the right one. But if you're looking for a story about, you know, a prominent uh, voice in the horror genre from the past, uh, you'll like this one. I I found it to be like it's kind of a sad story because we're talking about the the kind of like final uh, days of someone's life. Um, but if you know, there it tackles issues of it seems like morality. Uh, regret, sexuality, kind of like you said, the breaking down of the mind when you can no longer control your thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
even a little some bit of your classism. Yeah, classism. Uh, some of the, some of his inhibitions come out that he probably would be better at concealing oh, if his mind. Oh, I was, was waiting from the girl fight the other gay director at that party. Oh yes. <laughs> What was his name? George something. George Karak yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 I love I love the reenactments of like the Universal stuff. I think it's it's really well done. Get kind of get a peek behind the scenes um, of that process. Uh, Brendan Fraser. This was was this like the movie, his last movie before he kind of disappeared for obviously the awful reasons we know now. But I think this might have been like. Uh, the last movie before he took the hiatus. Nah, uh, he was in Blast from the Past and Crash. Oh, yeah, wow. and, and the first Mummy movie is the year after this. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. What, what year was this, 98? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, those movies were definitely after this then. Um, I, yeah. I think I've re- read the year wrong or something. Um. But yeah, Brendan Fraser, he was like, this was part of when he was on the rise. He, he's excellent in this. Um, I love, uh, what's the, not Brendan Fraser's character, kind of like the other super fan that was going to the house. Um, oh, the kid, yeah, the interviewer. The cucumber sandwich guy. Yeah. The cucumber sandwich guy. <laughs> yeah, he kind of played like the annoying super fan kind of well, too. And yeah. like, um, when James Wales, like, trying to. If I could. Yeah. Yeah, James Wells trying to tell his stories or just you give background and dudes like, yeah, can we get to the horror stuff? Like, yeah, um, that was that was shitty. Like that, I, I've never, I've never even heard of an interviewer doing that. Basically, uh, just telling the interviewee, oh, I don't really care about that stuff. Let's get to Frankenstein. Like that's, I don't know, that bothered me a little bit. Yeah, and it it gives you a little bit of like insight though because it's like some mm-hmm. of our. Some of our favorite horror icons, they like horror, even if they were in like horror stuff that was very prominent, it's still just a slice of their life. So I'm sure it can get like a little annoying when they're like like, talking about experiences or giving you background and the people are just like, no, I just want to talk about this one thing you did and that's it. Um, But overall, yeah, this movie is very good uh definitely a drama it, it's it's definitely uh emotional um where it goes like you guys said it, it, it ends with Wells' death mm-hmm. and i you know i i think it's a good kind of end of life movie uh that tackles uh what kind of happens like what to expect sort of at that stage of life where it could Anything can happen any day. I mean, obviously that's true for just life period, but especially when you're at a, a elevated age like that. And I think it's, you know, like I said, regret. Uh, I think there's some trying to make peace with things with your life, with it, maybe mistakes you made or things you didn't get a chance to do that you wanted to. I think all of that's wrapped up in the story, and it's just great. And I, I almost feel like the horror aspects or all that stuff is like a bonus to like the story and just the display of the acting uh yeah. we see and i i definitely see why this won awards yeah i mean it's after you watch this movie i mean it's no surprise to find out that you know our two main actors were nominated for oscars these are just beautiful beautiful performances um a couple of aspects of the film that we actually haven't talked about yet one hannah 
I fucking loved Hannah. Lynn Redgrave, yeah, she's amazing. Lynn Redgrave as Hannah was a great performance because she had that dichotomy of being a very religious person and being against homosexuality, but still having this um, loyalty to James Whale that I found really beautiful. Like I, I you know, like the fact that she was able to kind of just push her religion aside and say, I don't agree. I don't agree with your lifestyle, but you're very obviously a good person. So I don't have a problem working for you. Uh, you know, that, that whole conversation where she was talking about James Whale's homosexuality was just a beautiful scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other, kinda, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. It's kind of like, she has like this weird, like secret love for well, will in a sense, I, where, especially with the surprised. climax, you know, kind of, kind of, Mm-hmm. gives that away with the way that she reacted to it. Absolutely. No, yeah, that's definitely, it wouldn't be a surprise if she had feelings for him. Absolutely. But, and you know, the, the, as you said, you know, the way that she uh, responds to the suicide obviously is, uh, uh, you know, very sad, very uh, showing of uh, her true feelings for James whale. Um, and then the other aspect of the film that we haven't talked about yet are the dream sequences or I don't want to say dream sequences, but the sequences where they actually did uh, Frankenstein, where Brendan Fraser, the first one, Brendan Fraser plays Dr. Frankenstein and James Whale plays the monster. Like, I thought that was really, really cool. And then the next time, and then the next time they do that, it's reversed. Brendan Fraser is the monster and James Whale is the doctor. And I just thought like the placement of those two scenes based on the relationship between Clay and James Whale I thought was just really, really well done. Uh, beautiful editing. I mean, yeah, there, there, there's really very little that we can say negative about this film. About the only thing that anybody might have an issue with, like I mentioned earlier, is the pacing. It's a, it's a, it is a slow movie. But if you genuinely like James Whale, like I do, I you know I I love the 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 content that he created. I absolutely adore it. So I am interested to see you know how his life ended. You know, the last days of his life, yeah. stuff like that. I'd be just as interested as a documentary on him during the creation of the Frankenstein movies as well. That would probably be interesting to see the auteur at work, but um, I am very happy with with what they gave us with this one, just covering the last few weeks of his life. I thought that was great. Yeah. Like, you know, they could have probably cut out like the scene where Brandon Frazier just raw dogs that girl in the, after the bar. But it does say a lot about Brendan, though, that, you know... At that time period, you know? I mean, I you know, ultimately, he... Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, he's this big chiseled Adonis. Obviously, you know, um, he's going to gravitate back towards what he's familiar with. Then what is he familiar with? Having sex with random women and drinking at a bar. So, you know, after James Whale kind of kicked them out and said, I don't want you posing for me anymore... Uh, where else is he going to go but back to a bar to fuck some random chick? So it, to fucking... me, it made sense. Um, I, I agree with you. It may not have necessarily been a vital scene, but I'm still okay with it. Yeah. But then it because then the end has a little bit more weight to it, too. When we he's realize that, man. Yeah, that now he's a family man, he has a kid, and he's sharing his love of Frankenstein with his son. I adore that final scene. When he's doing the Frankenstein walk in the rain, fucking loved it. That yeah, it was awesome. great. Yeah, and, and, and fucking Benny's the bartender. Like, That's right. <laughs> Old Benny. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Benny. Bye, Benny. <laughs> oh. uh, anything else you guys want to add to this? Ah, this is a good movie. Check it out. It's not an easy movie to find, unfortunately. But um, 
there's probably a physical release out there somewhere, maybe on DVD or something, but um, it's not officially streaming anywhere. You know, um, I rented it on Amazon Prime. I'm sure there's other outlets where you can get it, but yeah, um, it's not the easiest movie to find, but I I still highly recommend it. Like I said, if you have an interest in James Whale, uh, you know what I mean? It's it's a lot easier to find than the next movie we're talking about. (laughs) Really? That's weird, because I had no problem finding that one. That's odd. Yeah, it happens, though. (laughs) All right, folks, so let's move on to our second film of the night. That is going to be our uh, film, The Shadow of the Vampire, starring Willem Dafoe, John Malkovich, Eddie Izzard, Corey Elways, uh, just so many people, names in this one. Um, Obviously, as we all know, this is based on uh, the making of the original Nosferatu, um, it, it gives a great little background, too, on why F.W. Murnau made uh, Nosferatu instead of making Dracula, which is exactly what he wanted to make. Um, and then the fact that this movie, I, I did some research on the original um, Nosferatu film as well. And just the fact that that movie even still exists after, you know, they were ordered to destroy every copy of it after the uh Bram Stoker estate sued F.W. Murnau to block the release of the film. Um, it's, you know, it's a minor miracle right there. Now, obviously, you know, maybe back then it's a lot easier to slip through the cracks and, you know, uh, film reels that maybe got sent to like Czechoslovakia or, or Czechoslovakia, excuse me, Czechoslovakia, um, which is now the Czech Republic, of course, but we're talking the, the, the 1920s here. So it's still Czechoslovakia. Um, it's like I said, it's a minor miracle that we even still have the movie to watch today. And it's been restored multiple times with different uh, orchestras. And even there's even one version out there with typo negative doing the soundtrack, doing the score for Nosferatu. And that's kind of a hard version to find um, of the original Nosferatu with typo negative doing the soundtrack. If you can find that, somebody tell me because I'd pay top dollar for that one. Anyway. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Mike this time first. Mike, tell us a little bit about what you thought of Shadow of the Vampire. Well, right off the bat, the first thing I was thinking as I was watching this, like barely 10 minutes in, uh, they pretty much got the casting perfect. Yep. This. Like, <laughs> my my second thought was like, wow, I would love to see a Nosferatu uh, remake with this with these actual people playing the characters because it's just right. so well done. Like if if you didn't know any better, like you would almost think it's like a behind the scenes look at the actual movie being made. But it's like, what more can you say? Willem Dafoe, uh, Malkovich, like just the two of them, the way they play off each other, uh, the strife that went on during the filming. I think um, the the settings of it, I don't know what it is about vampire uh, movies, just in general vampire Dracula movies, but so many just get the the uh atmosphere and ambiance and set design so correct and it's like always a joy because there's so many different interpretations about how like you know dracula or vampires live like what their mm-hmm. castle is or where they where they're hanging out and th- i think this one just nailed it and you know nosferatu i haven't i haven't seen it in a while but max shrek the depiction it's just it's just so good like uh, it's such an easy movie to watch because it, it it feels like they nail every piece of the essence of what it was probably actually like making the movie. Um, 
I, I assume they try to base it off of as much like factual information as they can for something that long ago, like whatever records were kept. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's very entertaining. I haven't seen this one in a long time, and it was a nice refresher on it. Um, just it's great, and like the scenes when they recreate some of the famous scenes from Nosferatu, I think that's a joy too, just because it, it feels like there's passion between the cast as well. Like they, they know they're covering something that was special in the history of film, not just horror, but film itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this definitely gets a huge, huge thumbs up for me. I definitely recommend it. It's, it's probably one of my favorite, uh, movies about the making of a movie, uh, out there. So yeah, that's valid. Absolutely. Derek, come on in here, buddy. Man, uh, this movie is fucking great. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I would want to start out a few things like a. What's the director's name of this? Oh, I forgot. E. Elias Merhage? Sounds. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't pronounce that word either. Yeah, well, he directed that movie. That, like infamous like experimental art horror movie begotten that was his f- first movie it's like a very infamous movie if you haven't heard of begotten it was like heavily bootlegged around like the circles like yeah. and shit like that it, he directed that was his first movie and this is his second movie <laughs> and uh yeah you it has like some of that experimental stuff that was in that movie Kind of like would mix with like that German expressionism cinematography that Nosferatu kind of had because they even shot on like older film, I think, to get like that aesthetical look mm-hmm. for this movie. And yeah, it's great. And then you just get into like you got Cyrus the Virus versus Norman Osborne, <laughs> Malkovich and Defoe are acting their asses off in this movie, and it's amazing. I want you to do that scene right now. Ah. <laughs> it's fucking so good. And then you got like the Dread Pirate Roberts as the cinematographer. <laughs> the Dread Cinematographer Roberts. Yep. We got Udo Kier in there too. Just yeah, he he was a Dracula too. You got fucking Udo Kier in there. Eddie Izzard. And fucking yeah, this is like like the whole, whole like fucking like scene and shit. Like when you know, because definitely this is a fictional version. And he didn't really kill all these fucking people. No, of course not. <laughs> then, you know, like, but it's fucking great. You know, it's like that's what they use on the film, and it's kind of fucking crazy if you think about that. Like you never even like knew that Nosferatu was like a fake movie, and you just watch this first, and you're like, <laughs> what the fuck? This really happened, right? <laughs> you know, you know, and, and then you watch Nosferatu later. I'm like, damn, that director slaughtered that woman. <laughs> Catherine McCormick always dies in every movie she's in. Braveheart, this, and yep. 28 weeks later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, th- I've I've seen this movie at least a couple of times before, but this was this was a long time rewatch in the coming. I easily haven't watched it in over 10 years, but 
this this was another one that's just a beautiful performance. So, like I said, this one is less docudrama and more kind of dark parody, as I call it. I don't even know if I'm using the proper terminology, but that's what I'm going to go with because, you know, even though because the thing is, is that Max Shrek was one of the first method actors. And mm-hmm. because of that, you know, people on the set didn't know what to make of him since he was always Count Orlock. You know, you, you were not allowed to call him Max or, or Mr. Shrek, eh, Shrek. As, as some people said, oh, by the way, Shrek is the German word for terror, if anybody didn't know that. But yeah, that's legit. So Max Shrek's la- um, his last name is Terror. Go figure. Anyway, um, when you actually watch legitimate documentaries about Nosferatu, you realize that, you know, Max Shrek was just a method actor and the people on that set just had never worked with a method actor before. So in F.W. Murnau's memoirs, he writes a lot of stuff about believing that Max Shrek was an actual vampire and things like that. But no, like Derek said, Max Shrek didn't kill anybody on set. And he's actually he he was actually a very popular actor at the time. Um, he did a lot of stage uh, in London and did do some films in Germany. Like I actually saw a couple of clips of him, you know, with no monster makeup on him, and you know, he just looks like an upstanding German gentleman. So, um, but the but even even with the liberties that the movie took, they're still so entertaining. Like this movie is endlessly entertaining to watch. Um, Willem Dafoe's, uh, and once again, by the way, an Oscar-nominated performance, as Willem oh. Dafoe was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this role. So, man, I, I picked some good movies, huh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Should have um, won. Oh, he absolutely should have won. This performance is stellar. I mean, just his mannerisms. Like, the man doesn't even have to say a word. There's one scene, it's one of the later scenes in the movie where uh, Murnau yells at uh, at Max Shrek um, because, you know, he's in the wrong position or he wanted to go ahead and kill the girl right away. For those who don't know, basically, F.W. Murnau believed that Max Shrek was a real vampire and he made a deal with him that at the end of the production, you can have my female star, you know, you can take her, you can drink her blood or whatever. So that's kind of the concept of the film. Um, but there's a scene where it's near the end where they're um, filming that death scene and Max Shrek gets a little too close too fast and Murnau starts yelling at him and the mannerisms, like he starts pacing in the room and he's like throwing his hands up and like, it, it's just so fucking entertaining. I can't get over it. I mean, the man did his homework because he definitely has a lot of the mannerisms of the, of the original Max Shrek. Um, when you watch like the little tiny bit of behind the scenes footage from the original Nosferatu that still exists, um, you can definitely tell that Defoe did his homework. I mean, his face, his smile, his eyes, the way that he tilts his head back but still looks down at you, just fucking terrifying. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it, and, and then the mm-hmm. thing that makes it so fucking more awesome is when they actually like cut like scenes from the actual real Nosferatu and then they add Defoe into them. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're and it looks like legit, like, same scene, but just Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I really like, I, I like the scene in this movie where they're filming the boat scene from Nosferatu. And Max Shrek is so in character that he can't be on a boat. He can't go over water. You know, some vampire mythos say that vampires can't go over water. Um, so for him to actually say, I refuse to take a boat to the next location, but then he just kind of shows up there magically, you know, it just adds to that allure, the mystery of the whole thing. 
Is Max Shrek a vampire? No, of course not. But was he an interesting character that basically believed he was a vampire for however long it took to film this movie? Absolutely. And that's where the enjoyment of this film comes in, is watching Max Shrek you know, believe everything that, that, you know, that everything that he does is real and truly vampiric. Ultimately, the dead giveaway in the movie is the scene where he drinks vodka. Um, you know, most vampire <laughs> yeah. lore says that vampires can't ingest anything but blood. Um, I know there's some vampire, you know, um, universes out there where the vampires can ingest other things. But in general, blood is the only thing they can ingest. And we see him actually getting drunk on vodka. So that's kind of like your telltale sign. Oh, that, that seems that, amazing just because it's just... Oh, and it's a great key. scene. It's a scene between, like, Willem <laughs> Dafoe and Udo Kier and the other guy that looks like Giles from Buffy. And he just snaps that bat out of the air. That was and great. He, he just Ozzy Osbourne's <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, that's fucking dedication, my friends. That man is such a method actor that he actually drank blood multiple times on set. I mean, bravo. Fucking bravo to Max Shrek. But yeah, ultimately, Shadow of the Vampire. Very entertaining movie. Definitely more horror adjacent than Gods and Monsters. There's actual tension, atmosphere. There's actual death in the film, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. as we've been talking about. So this is definitely something that's more... Um, in the alley of genre fans, something that they would might that uh, they might gravitate towards. Plus, more it's easily. produced by Nick Cage, and it's produced by Nicolas Cage, exactly. Which that was fucking shocking when I saw that. But then again, yeah, that's why know, Malkovich Nick is in it. He's probably like, I'm producing this movie, Malkovich, on the set of Right? You, you also get a peek. You, you also get a peek into what movie sets probably used to look like compared to now, and what they could get away exactly. with. That that uh, filming the of the last, <laughs> that film or the the filming of uh, Nosferatu's death, when the director's just yelling at him, "You're dying! You're dying! You're taking your last yeah. breath! The curse is out!" Like, oh man, that was so good. The yeah. foe fucking got Green Goblin because of this movie. I wouldn't be surprised. Shit. Oh, no, it's actually a, yeah, it's a fact. Awesome. No, because he fucking deserves it. He's a great Nosferatu, and he's a great Green Goblin. Sure. She'll win an Oscar for No Way Home. Attaboy. Uh, maybe, yeah. I, I could see it. At least nominated. But, yeah. No, I mean, superhero movies. She's they nominated don't really for every movie he's in, though. Ultimately, yes, I agree with you. I don't think I've ever seen a Willem Dafoe vehicle that I didn't like. But, yeah. He also stars in a lot of stuff that's not Academy-friendly, you know? So, sadly. Yeah, like Abel Green Goblin's Ferrara. not getting nominated, so like seventeen oh, Abel Ferrara movies. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, but uh, I don't know what else can we talk about here. Um, uh, going back to some of the expressions that Orlock, that Count Orlock makes throughout the movie. Did Did you guys think that it's it? Multiple times in the movie, it looks like he smelled a fart. Like yeah. he curls up his lip and he brings his hands up to his face and it's like, did somebody fart, dude? Like you literally look like you're smelling something awful. My favorite Again, part, the I, my favorite part, I want makeup. <laughs> I want makeup. Yeah, you don't get makeup. <laughs> and and that's the other thing too is the balls of F.W. Murnau. Like he, if he genuinely believes that this guy is a vampire, he talks down to him like he's just any other actor. And I'm like, dude. Um, pretty before sure he, if that's a real vampire, he's going to take your ass out. 
Unless and you're John Malkovich. Apparently, unless you're John Malkovich, exactly. Because nobody else on the set is fucking safe. I mean, he took out he took out a cinematographer, a writer, a producer. Two a cinematographers. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of death and destruction on this set, but Yo, um, just like fucking, I said. When he just mm-hmm. fucking snaps fucking Dread Pirate cameraman's neck, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that that was and and they filmed it too. The, the fact that they got it on film, it's like so yeah, great. And like, I, yeah. I actually liked how Murno kind of or Malkovich, um, how he kind of got mad at at he he got mad at Shrek not necessarily for killing people on the set, but for killing them in a way that didn't look good on camera. Like when he was killing Udo Kier, he was actually yelling at him, like, oh, this doesn't look very good. This isn't going to translate to film very well. It's Yo, like, he's still talking to the dead body. You're... Could you just move that steak? Oh, yeah, exactly. I, it's just the, the cavalierness of it all that you're literally, your producer is getting killed, strangled to death right now, and you're still worried about the scene. Like, I don't know if he's a genius or a psycho. <laughs> Yo, you just realize this is like a cannibal Holocaust version of. The making of Nosferatu. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh man, if the movie started in New York and then went to Germany, maybe. <laughs> oh. The Italian formula. You got to follow the Italian formula. All right, folks. Well, uh, anything else that we want to bring up, or are we done? Fun fact: Willem Dafoe grabbed Catherine McCormick's press for a lot of times, uh, up to five minutes. That's actually a fact on IMDb. I, I mean, you see it in the film during that final scene where he's like uh, drinking her blood. His hand is right on her right tit the whole time. Like and he's like, um, what do you call it? Caressing it, squeezing it. I'm like, are you getting off on the blood or the breast in your hand? I, it was weird, <laughs> but yeah. I, if that upset the actress, I totally could see it. Because, I mean, he was doing it on purpose. He would literally look down at the boob and then put his hand on it and then start sucking blood out of her neck and whatnot. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. Obviously, it's a different day and age, so, you know, women weren't treated nearly as well on set, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they ended up drugging her just so that she would, you know, finish the final scene. Yeah. As, which, as, you know, as makes her know an even bigger first Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, I'll go with that. Probably not the first, but... He's Bill Cosby there. Oh, terrible. <laughs> Once we mention Bill Cosby, I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, I think so. What do you say, Mike? <laughs> Michael? Oh, he's yelling at his kids again. I, I think the sun's starting to peek into the podcast, which means we're about to start turning into dust if we don't get out of here. So. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, uh, let's find out where else we can be heard. So, Venom, I'll start with you. What do you What do you got new out for everybody? All right. Derek and I have a new episode of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. That's episode uh, number 17. Uh, I'm just finishing up the edit on that now. So uh, I would imagine once you listen, as you listen to this episode, that one will be available on the No More Room in Hell feed. So check that out on that episode. We have our returning guest of David Garrett Jr. And he brought us The Monster from 2016 to discuss, which is actually an early A24 movie that I had forgotten was an A24 movie. But it makes sense because I love that fucking movie so much. So it makes sense that it's an A24 movie. But anyway, uh, that episode should be out as you listen to this one. So check that out. 
Um, let's see. We got the Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Episode four will be getting recorded next week, a week from today. And, of course, that is our episode-by-episode retrospective of the original Friday the 13th, the series that aired from 1987 to 1990. We are up to episode four, so that'll be getting recorded next week and will be released shortly after that. Um, I did a guest spot on the return episode of Kill the Cast, where uh, Jerry, myself, Jay, and uh, Mr. Parka all had a round table of the dead where we basically just discussed some of our favorite zombie movies, uh, some of the most important ones, the most critically acclaimed. And then we each did a top five list of our favorite of our five favorite zombie movies. So check that out. I'm pretty sure that episode's available now. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, you can find that one on the Legion podcast network. Everything else I discussed, you can find on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com. All right. Uh, kick it over to Derek in case he has anything. I got nothing but creature comforts. Move on. But creature comforts is awesome, so you got a lot, my friend. That's right. Fuck that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I got nothing new other than what Venom already uh, pointed out. <laughs> why, yeah, why don't we do this? Venom should just do oh, what are you talking about? I left, one, I left one for you, Mike, you jerk. Wait, what one did you not mention? Fresh cuts. Oh shit! I always I'm feel so bad to, like, because I never. One of the first ones. <laughs> yeah, I always feel bad because Mike never has anything to say, so I figured I'd leave him one to talk about this week, and then he forgets. Real nice. <laughs> it's no longer fresh. Um, so yeah, it's fresh moldy. cuts. <laughs> on the latest uh, episode, what the hell did we discuss on the latest episode? With Sarah, the Bone Woman. Oh yeah, very good. Uh, I swear, yeah. So um, that is it. currently on Shutter now. So uh, everyone, check it out. Uh, yes, it's a much better it, version of Clock. <laughs> the fuck's Clock? Yep. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If you if you listen to our episode Clock, you probably want to listen to this one more. <laughs> yep. Clock on Hulu. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, but uh, yeah, uh, Husera uh, is on Shutter. I'm gonna review that movie now. Which one, Clock? You should you should? Yeah, do it. yeah, oh, man. God damn it! Yeah, that movie bothered me, but we already discussed that. So I, I need to watch it so I can listen. To... <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, next episode will be number fifty-four, and it'll be back to Derek's picks. Uh, so Derek, I'm sure we'll have a couple of fun and exciting movies for us to cover. Uh, maybe in Back a couple of weeks, maybe a little longer. Yeah, just depending on the schedule. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to something that will haunt us for the rest of our lives, probably. But hey, that's part of the deal. <laughs> oh wow! Are we doing a Serbian film in August Underground? Nice. All right. <laughs> you never know. You know me and Venom might pick that one sometime. Out of respect to humanity in general, I would never pick August Underground. <laughs> I like the movies, don't get me wrong. They're well, trash classics. I just want to hear Mike's talk. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't hate anyone enough to make them watch an August Underground movie. <laughs> just make them watch Death Squad Service. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, with that, I'm going to go throw up and... Uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back with episode 54 in a short time. Let's say bye to our listeners. Bye. Adios, folks. Magneto and Green Goblin and Cyrus the Virus. (laughs) George of the Jungle and the Dread Cinematographer Roberts. Yeah. (laughs) As you wish. (laughs) Ah.